0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rank from Denver 7. Thanks for making this podcast so much fun. The support has been overwhelming through the first three pods. With Steve Atwater, Melvin Gordon, some draft talk, and we will circle back to that today because we are, if you can believe it, less than two weeks away from the NFL Draft first round in Cleveland. Broncos looking to make a splash. I will talk about that. I will also drop my first Mach 1.0 of the top 10 of this year's NFL Draft. It's a fun exercise, and I promise you. I do it in Etch-A-Sketch, but in talking to sources, try to get an idea of how this top 10 will fall. It's going to be unpredictable, probably more than any draft I've covered in 10 years of uh, chronicling the NFL. So let's get to the quarterbacks, shall we? Here's where it stands. Trey Lance today held his second pro day uh, at North Dakota State. Offensive coordinator for the Broncos, Pat Shermer, was there. Yes, it's significant because the Broncos need a quarterback. They've had a wandering eye this entire offseason. They've been at both his pro days and meeting Trey Lance, both at Justin Fields' pro days. The second pro day for each was attended by Shermer, not George Payton. Payton is getting ready in the draft meetings, getting that board ready. So it makes sense that you bring in that second set of eyes with Shermer and you collaborate and see where you stand. And those conversations are ongoing. And sometimes I've been told by sources to talk about a quarterback amongst the scouts and the people in the room and Coach Fangio, that can take an hour trying to assess can this guy's ability translate his character you know his IQ uh, his you know his mobility all these different scenarios come up to see if there's a fit so obviously the Broncos have interest in taking a quarterback in the first round the situation with Lance is interesting to me because the 49ers fingerprints were all over this workout today Uh, with Trey Lance. He began working with John Beck recently. John Beck designed Zach Wilson's workout. He also, again, he wanted to tailor it to the 49ers. So it keeps the idea open that the Niners are not taking Mac Jones. People I trust in the industry really believe that Mac Jones will go number three. I'm not saying that in stone. I'm just not convinced. I mean, I get the Mac Jones and Kirk Cousins comparisons, the accuracy. I like Mac Jones. I just don't see star potential. I see the ceiling uh, in sight right now, and lower certainly than Trey Lance and Justin Fields. But the Niners clearly have their eye on one of those two guys. I don't think it's going to be Fields. I think it's going to be either Mac Jones or Trey Lance. If it's Mac Jones, that helps the Broncos, because as while they've said they're open to Mac Jones, I don't think that's their guy. But if Trey Lance and Justin Fields remain on the board, it creates a scenario where Denver could get a quarterback without having to give up so much draft capital. And you've seen rumors that, well, they'll move up to four with the Falcons, and I just don't know that that's realistic. Again, because of the draft capital, you would surrender a couple of first-rounders, maybe a second or third. But if you're talking about moving up to seven or eight to prevent the Patriots the Bears, the Washington football team from jumping in front of you. Maybe that's a third this year and then a second and third next year when the draft is less uh, unpredictable. And so you're giving up, yeah, three picks, but not first rounders, which can really hurt a team that has uh, the holes on its roster that the Broncos do. So again, Trey Lance, he's 20 years old. He turns 21 next month. He would, for me, project as a redshirt quarterback. Maybe he plays one or two games at the end of a year. Patrick Mahomes only played in one game his rookie year against the Broncos, uh, coincidentally enough, and, and Paxton Lynch. If you're taking Justin Fields, that's a guy for me that could push Drew Locke in a competition. He's better on paper than Drew Locke. Drew Locke fell to the second round. He was highly valued, but he did, certainly didn't grade the way a Justin Fields is graded during his college career. But Lance... He's a guy that has just really impressed when I talk to sources in Zoom interviews. That he's ready and even just you know kind of he has a maturity that belies his age. But 17 starts that would tie him for like the fourth fewest of a guy to go in the for, uh, first round, along with Mac Jones. I mean, so the trend is going a different direction. But Trubisky had the fewest at 13, and you saw that that was a problem for him. He just had not played a lot of football. And then he tries to become a franchise quarterback, but in the case of Trey Lance. He was impressive again today, and he's still on the Broncos' radar, as is Justin Fields. It gives the Broncos options. They look like, to me, a team that's being nimble enough to move if it falls a certain way, but not to sell out their draft board to move up to number four. But again, it's an evolving situation. It's certainly written in pencil, or as I like to say, etch-a-sketch, because it could really go a number of ways, and we're going to get into that. What would it look like in the top 10? And I will drop that top 10 here, moments uh, as we lead into this podcast. But, but first, I want to tell you, this Believe in Broncos podcast is brought to you in part by Hoggett Injury Law. With us, it's personal. Yes, speaking of personal, let me tell you about my friend, Darby Hoggett. I have known Darby for more than a decade. Our sons played together in travel baseball. I coached Darby's son in baseball. Listen, I consider Darby a good friend. In fact, many of his clients have become his good friends. You don't even have to pay him up front. If your case goes its plan, Darby will be the one writing checks to you. So give his team a call at 833-HOGGETT, T, or find out more from his website, at hoggetlaw.com. So now, my mock draft. What do I got going in a mock draft? I got some fun going. I'll be honest with you. And listen, I don't make this a year-round event for me. I'm not uh, Todd, 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 Todd McShay. I'm not Mel Kuyper Jr. I've known Mel. I remember talking to Mel when I covered CU Buffs back in the early 90s. Calling him and getting him on my our radio show uh, back on KUCB when I was at the University of Colorado. So Mel Giber puts in the time and puts in the work, and a lot of people do wonderful mock drafts. I do mind talking to sources, watching some film, but I'm not painting myself as a film guy. More as talking to people in the industry, mapping it out to see how this thing could fall. And I remember, this isn't where I like who I would take. This is how I believe it would fall as we sit here, again, 11 days out from the draft. It's an evolving situation, as you all know, because of the fact, uh, this quarterback thing. It's the, the uncertainty of this draft, it is just so much different than years past because of the lack of information on these prospects, because of, one, the opt-outs, so you have a bunch of top players who haven't played football in more than a year, and you've got guys with injuries where you have a lack of information, and no combine. As much as we kind of kind of critically uh, look at the combine and joke about it, the reality is it does set up just like this objective nature to evaluate everyone on the same stage. Because let's be honest, how many guys ran four threes this year in the 40s on their pro days? You, no way you see that many four threes at the combine. That's the nature, again, just a slight nuance of how it's a little different when you're not at a combine. And the other thing too, like so the pro days, you can go to those, and I know they're if they're overrated to me in some regard because the film matters to me the most. Talking to a player, seeing how he reacts when I ask him questions, especially quarterback. What did you see here? Are you you know is the quarterback honest and say, yeah, I just made a mistake on this play, I made a misread. Those are things I want to hear. Is this guy coachable? Is he being honest with what he sees in the film? But in the pro day, what it can show you, at least with quarterbacks, is how's the ball coming out of his hand. Uh, You know, this confidence, how he relates to players in that type of setting, there's no pressure. I mean, they have the answers to the test. If a guy doesn't do well on a pro day, it is a huge red flag because it's all scripted out and so but what I I do like to see the athleticism and see how he interacts with his teammates and you know if he has a bad throw what's the next throw look like just little things that you can't pick up on film in a game that you can pick up in a workout but those workouts and those pro days have taken on added importance this year because the lack of a combine and there's no way around that it's just lack of information this year will that change going forward we think so But uh, we just don't know. So this year, Gil Brandt, again, if someone I've talked to, who has been in the industry forever. Gil is actually one that's credited for creating the 40-yard dash time. And an interesting side note to that, I did a story about the 40-yard dash a couple years ago. And Gil, they created it because the 40-yard dash at that time, back when he was with the Cowboys... Was to measure the guy's speed essentially on punts, how long it would take a guy to cover a punt. And they wanted kind of that baseline of how fast the guy ran. And then over the years, it became a baseline speed by position. You know, if you're a running back, you want to be in the four fours. And now with linebackers, certainly in four fours and, you know, a defensive end, maybe you're a four seven. But those are, be, it was originally created by the Cowboys and Gil Brandt as a way to measure guys covering on special teams, covering punts, and to a lesser degree, kickoffs. So kind of a fun side note there. But now as we get closer to the draft, things are starting to crystallize. And I caution to say, remember, this is the line season. Let's not forget that. And some of the posturing by these teams, Atlanta for one at four, that you know they're going to take a quarterback, I, I just cannot buy into the fact they would take a quarterback at four with a new GM trying to win when you've already got Matt Ryan, who looks like he'd be there two more years. That would be almost the Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers pick, certainly later in the first round. But you'd be drafting guys that's not going to contribute at quarterback when I, I just don't see that. Carolina is another one that's kind of pretending and posturing that, yeah, we got Sam Darnold, but we could still take another quarterback. Oh, really? I, I just don't see it. I see that as posturing. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. I could be wrong. But it looks more like posturing in that position than the reality because Sam Darnold, you don't take him without picking up his fifth-year option and investing time to make that work. So, again, a lot of interest in these quarterbacks – a chance we're going to see three go in the first round for the first time since 1999. But let's let's dig into this a little more, shall we? Have a little fun with this. The first one, it's an easy one. Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback, Trevor Lords. He's 6'5", 213. He'll play probably closer to 220. His weight was down when he did his workout, his pro day, because he had shoulder surgery on his off shoulder, so he wasn't able to do all the lifting he would normally do. But I'll tell you what about Lawrence. He, to me, is the best quarterback prospect I've seen in college uh, along with John Elway and Andrew Luck. I mean, just elite talent, elite IQ, can work from the pocket, is fast enough to run and scramble and get yards. I mean, I don't want him doing that a lot in the NFL given his frame at 6'5", but he's certainly capable of you know making first downs with his legs can throw down field he certainly hasn't shied away from big no- moments has he lost a couple of big games he has has he had huge games he certainly has and now he's not perfect he's got some footwork issues he's going to polish and have to polish but with that culture with Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence given their history of winning and for Lawrence it dates all the way back i'm talking to high school he's been the top prospect in high school uh, since like his junior year in Georgia where he and Justin Fields grew up about what playing 40 minutes apart I just this kid to me is a can't miss and a future all pro I think the fit is good there a chance to really hit the reset button for that franchise and change their entire culture number two we'd have never predicted this a year ago the Jets take quarterback Zach Wilson. He's 6'2", 214, a little heavier than he played at his pro day, had a little bit of more muscle to him. You know, he, there was concern he might come in around 205, 208. 214's nice for him. Um, when you see him, he doesn't feel like he's 214, but again, that's the weight he had on his pro day. Again, this kid took a huge jump in performance. After the 2019 season, he began working out with quarterback coach John Beck, a former BYU player and and NFL backup, to try to save his starting job at BYU. They opened up the position because he had played so poorly the previous season. And man, did he take a leap. Uh, Again, I see some shades of Jake Plummer with his swagger and mobility. He's going to have to improve some of that discipline in the pocket, as we've seen with Drew Locke. The first sign of trouble, if you go right in the NFL, try to throw across your body, it's just it's difficult. You know, yeah, Aaron Rodgers can do it. Brett Favre could do it. Patrick Mahomes. Most guys don't survive in the NFL as a starter without learning to climb the pocket and make very smart decisions in the pocket. Take the layups there when they're you need them. You don't have to shoot three-pointers every time in the NFL because if you remember, if you average one pick a game in the NFL, you're likely to lead the league in interceptions. So you have to understand that ball security is job security, but this kid can make plays off script. Uh, he can do a lot of things on coloring outside the lines that I like, uh, but he's got to get some help and they've got to get him a receiver to give him a chance. Cause you know, Sam Darnold can tell him, he left the Jets culture and team. There just wasn't a lot of talent around him and the NFL where you go matters as a quarterback that fit matters it can destroy careers if you don't develop the quarterback put pieces around him because 99 percent of these quarterbacks aren't good enough to come in and overcome dysfunction in the coaching staff in game plans in lack of talent that's just hard to do in the nfl so when you get a guy like of zach wilson you take him at two get him some help and maybe that's not necessarily this year but it is the you know the following years San Francisco, this is where the draft gets interesting. Will San Francisco do as most people tell me that I trust and take Mac Jones, Alabama 6'3", 217, in his one season as a starter, just amazing. I mean, essentially it was Joe Burrow type legendary numbers. Put up those kind of stats and won a national title. And in a lot of ways, it mirrors Joe Burrow's rise. Uh, Burrow went from probably a third rounder, fourth rounder to the first overall pick. So there's something to sit there on and say Mac Jones, Joe Burrow, but Burrow for me is more athletic than Mac Jones. He's, he's just able to, he's got more mobility. Will they stay with Mac Jones? It, what's weird about this is that it's leaked. And everyone that, you know, that you trust in both national media, some scouts I've talked to, they just feel like it's Mac Jones. And that's why we all lean toward picking that is just based on the information we had. But throughout the Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch era in San Francisco, anything they've ever done of significance was never leaked. Whether it was the Garoppolo trade, whether it was the hiring of John Lynch, frankly, none of this really ever got out. So I'm just suspicious of the fact that everyone seems to know it's Mac Jones. That's why I just, I'm not writing it in stone that I think they could still take Trey Lance, bank on Jimmy Garoppolo for a year or maybe a half season and then get Lance ready to play and then go forward that way. Because no one else really values Mac Jones as the third overall pick. If he were to go third again, that would be the first time since 1999 quarterbacks go one, two, three in the draft. That draft was Cleveland with Tim couch, Philadelphia, Donovan McNabb. Remember, everyone, uh, the Philly fans booed that because they wanted Ricky Williams. And Cincinnati, Achilles Smith. So of those three, the only one that panned out was Donovan McNabb. Couch dealt with injuries. He was good early, dealt with injuries. Achilles Smith basically never really played, was a total bust. So it just highlights, even though it was... 20 plus years ago, just the volatility of the quarterback market, even in the top of the draft. But a lot to like about Jones, great decision maker. He is a guy who processes information quickly, who seems to make the right decision frequently, which is huge in the NFL. But is there enough athleticism there if things get weird? Can you, you know, because if the high side and the ceiling is Kirk Cousins, I think we all can agree Kirk Cousins is a nice NFL quarterback they in Washington didn't take him third overall. Like that's the point. Like it would be in baseball terms. It would be like taking a fourth or fifth starter with a second, third pick in the draft. You take a guy with the higher upside that can be an ace because you can theoretically find a fourth and fifth starter in free agency every year. So that's why the Mac Jones thing to me, as much as I like the kid and what he did, I just don't see him as a star, but that's the pick. And if they don't take him, is it Trey Jones? Excuse me, is it Trey Lance? That's where the draft could get really interesting. Atlanta, I have them staying put here. Would I be surprised at all if they move back? I would not. A new GM in Fontenot, a way to build a cachet, build the reservoir of talent, trade back, get a couple of ones perhaps, and a three or two. That's some serious draft uh, capital as you're trying to rebuild a team that's hit some hard times. But if you stay put. Kyle Pitts, for me, might be the best player in this draft. 6'5", 245. He just looks like Darren Waller when I watched him at Florida. Just blending speed, breathtaking uh, athleticism. Even when he's covered, he's open. He, he just, you go back and look at his stats. It's just like eight catches, 140, nine catches, 150. I mean, you could almost say he's just a receiver. He's not going to block necessarily. He is Darren Waller. He's a Travis Kelsey type. Tight ends almost never go at this position in the draft at four. But if you're going to make an exception, I would say Kyle Pitts would you know fit in that category as the outlier as a reason to take a tight end at four overall. So he then stopped. Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals don't trade a lot. I think we can all agree. They got new uniforms. Those look sharp and clean. I like that white one. Uh, they trying to kind of simplify the jersey. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're on their way. With Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow last year, they were more exciting, certainly. Uh, but then he gets hurt, tears his ACL, and that's where I go with this pick. Left tackle, a Sewell from Oregon. 6'4, 331. Just an absolute just dresser of a man just this guy it's like you want movers to try to move him out of your house he's a, a full dresser that you would have in your bedroom but the problem with Sewell he didn't play last year he didn't always finish his blocks there were just there was some inconsistency that's concerning if it's just from an athletic standpoint when you look at him he is a future all pro like he's that talented he should still be a day one starter the question at at for Cincinnati is The temptation to reunite Burrow with LSU receiver Jamar Chase. Every scout I've talked to says when it comes to receivers, it's Chase and everyone else. But they really don't need a receiver. They had, what, T. Higgins last year. They got Boyd. If you're going to win in Cincinnati, you've got to keep Joe Burrow on the field. So for me, you don't overthink this. You take the best left tackle in the draft. It's not everyone doesn't think this was Sewell. I do. I have him as my slightly uh, best left tackle, so I have Cincinnati taking Pene Sewell. It moves us to six. So we've got the first five. We've got Jacksonville taking Trevor Lawrence. The Jets taking Zach Wilson. San Francisco kind of going chalk here, if you will, with Mac Jones. The Falcons at four taking Kyle Pitts. Cincinnati taking Pene Sewell at five, which brings us to six, the Miami Dolphins. Jamar Chase, if he doesn't go to the Bengals, this is a spot if you're Miami and you want to give Tua Tonga a chance to really take that next step in his second season as a starter. You add a player like Jamar Chase, six foot two eleven, absolutely fast, strong, smart, can separate in coverage. He can find ways uh, to get open that aren't always there. He just he accelerates in ways that are unique. This guy, I mean, you saw what Justin Jefferson did last year. I mean, Chase is considered a better prospect. Uh, And so for me, this is an easy decision for the Dolphins. Uh, If they're looking playmaker, you go Jamar Chase there. And then seven, the Broncos. Yes, the Broncos. You're saying, Troy, they're at nine. I'm having them trade up here because the draft has fallen a certain way to leave both Justin Fields and Trey Lance on the board. That allows the Broncos, they've been doing their due diligence. As we've talked about with Pat Shermer attending the Pro Days for both uh, pro uh, Trey Lance and Justin Fields. They've done everything in terms of looking at these quarterbacks in the draft. And now they're nimble enough to move up to seven. Why not four? Again, the draft capital for four with multiple first and probably a second or third, I don't know that Denver's in a position to surrender that with where they are from a roster standpoint. But it's seven, Again, this could change depending on the competition for it. But you go to the Lions and say, we'll give you a third this year and a second and third in 2022, and you say they might not take it. They might not. But that adds picks in 2022 when there's a combine. There's more consistency. There's players that aren't opting out anymore. This gives you uh, Detroit, that's appealing, where, hey, we pick up an extra pick this year, and then we get two valuable picks next year that if they wanted to make a move and get to, you know, number one overall or two, they would have that cachet. Again, this is where, and that, for me, it protects the risk for the Broncos. You're not giving up two future ones at a time that if you select the wrong quarterback, now next year's draft, you have no one? I mean, that's that's a difficult place to be When the team's missed the playoffs five straight years uh, and hasn't had a winning record in four straight years, if you miss and then you start surrendering future first-round picks, surrendering second and thirds, I'm much more, uh, that's something that's easier to stomach for me, and I think it would be for them. So the decision would come down to, with Fields on the board in this scenario, the decision would be whether you take Fields, Trey Lance, Micah Parsons, or maybe even a corner like Patrick Sertan. Um, and again, this is the exercise we're doing for today. I've also talked about what if they traded back and got the top edge rusher and Jalen Phillips and picked up a running back or a safety. But in this scenario, you have two on the board. You move up to seven. Why seven? Because of the fact you have Washington needs a quarterback, the Patriots are looking for a quarterback, and the Bears are looking for a quarterback. So if you get to seven, and Carolina would be probably open to trade as well, as I believe they will at eight, Seven allows you to get one of them and there's still one there at eight for teams to trade up. So you're not trading at seven and have to sell out for everything. And the price should still be somewhat reasonable because two of them are on the board with the seventh and eighth picks coming up. So you know Fields for me, he has he and Fields and Lance have the highest upside of any quarterbacks in this draft. I just think Phil's has gotten a bit of a bad rap. It's like I've said, you know, it's like the mole on Cindy Crawford. Like, enough already. Like, we're scrutinizing this guy in a way that just doesn't seem realistic to me. Uh, that And a part of it's because he played on national TV. We see all his games. You don't see that kind of criticism with Trey Lance. Why? Because most people haven't seen him play once on TV, let alone live. And had he played two more years... You would, I think you'd see him scrutinized in a different way. He's, he, the value of Trey Lance in some ways is the great unknown. You look at that 6'4", 230, and that athleticism, you're like, you know, this guy's Captain Marvel. And he doesn't have all this film on him where you could cheek everything, where Justin Fields, people have been watching him since he's been QB1 on Netflix his senior year of high school. Trey Lance was a one-star recruiter, too, that played wishbone offense at a Minnesota high school. So it's just two different type stories. Both can be successful in the NFL. But for me, I take the more known quantity, the more developed quantity in Justin Fields. I think he could push Locke for the job. Locke's having a great offseason. He attended the voluntary workout today. He's been doing everything he, he needs to do to prepare. He knows it's just about putting his head down and making a lot of right decisions and looking up and see where that leaves him. But I think Fields could like at least push him in training camp, and maybe perhaps at some point during the season he starts, and you could have the both of them. The flip side is you could draft Fields, you could sign a Teddy Bridgewater, and then you could move on from Locke. I mean, you would have that option. I don't think that's going to be the scenario, but that could be one if you bring in a veteran with the kid you drafted seven, uh, and then you could move on from Locke in that scenario. Carolina Panthers, they... I call their bluff. They stay there. They need a, uh, to improve their offensive line. Again, they could easily trade out of this pick. I don't think they're going to take a quarterback, even with Lance on the board there. Uh, and This is where Lance could fall in this draft. But Rayshawn Slater, he's a right tackle, could play left tackle. He's just got a lot of versatility. Some think he's a guard. Some think he's you know in the NFL. Some even have him graded higher than Pene Sewell. But this is a guy that is a day-one starter for me in the NFL. He's that good. Will they stay there? Again, if the Broncos take fields and Lance is on the board, they are going to be getting phone calls, I would guess, from at least three to four teams that want in on Lance and would trade with the Panthers. Detroit Lions, they traded back, so they're now in the ninth spot. I have them taking a wide receiver here, Jalen Waddle from Alabama, 5'10, 182. Waddle, I mean, he just makes plays others don't, and frankly, others can't. He's that good. I mean, some believe he's a better college prospect than Jerry Judy. And Jerry Judy had a really solid first year with the Broncos. But Waddle, when he gets healthy, had that ankle issue last year that unfortunately cost him several games. But he's just a playmaker. And if you're going to give Jared Goff a chance to gain some traction in Detroit, it starts with a player like Jalen Waddle. And finally at 10. And again, these picks are going to be in play if Trey Lance is still on the board or if Justin Fields is still on the board or if a Mac Jones is still on the board. You're going to see teams trying to move up. The Cowboys... Anyone that watched him last year, my brother's a huge Cowboys fan, so I get a lot of that listening to him. Their defense stunk last season. I don't think anyone would argue that. They need some help on that side of the ball. They lost some starting corners in free agency. That's why I see them taking Patrick Sertan from Alabama, six ten. Excuse me, 6'2", 208. He's the most technically sound corner in this draft. He's a day-one starter. Does he have the upside of maybe you know Caleb Farley or J.C. Horn? Perhaps not. Uh, is he ready to play right now in the NFL? I believe he is. In the case of, you know, could they go J.C. Horn there? He's moving up on a lot of draft boards, J.C. Horn. And I know that's a guy the Broncos like. If they were to trade back to that, you know, 15 range, that would have surprised me if they went J.C. Horn and then picked up uh, an edge rusher or a running back or a safety in the second. It would not. But Patrick Sertan, for my exercise, goes 10 to the Cowboys. And again, please give me some uh, elasticity here, folks. It's written in Etch-A-Sketch. We're not to the draft yet, but we're having some fun with it. So our top 10, again, Jacksonville takes Trevor Lawrence. The Jets take Zach Wilson. San Francisco goes quarterback Mac Jones. Atlanta Falcons take tight end Kyle Pitts. The Bengals take left tackle Pene Sewell. The Dolphins take wide receiver Jamar Chase. The Broncos move up two spots and take quarterback Justin Fields. At 8, the Panthers stay put, which might not happen, take a tackle and Rayshon Slater. The nine pick goes to the Lions in this scenario. They take Jalen Waddle, the receiver from Alabama. And number 10, the Cowboys take cornerback Patrick Sertan. So that's some fun with the mock in the top 10. If you need to read it more in depth, I've got it on the denverchannel.com on our our Broncos homepage, so you can check it out there. Again, Thank you for your support on these initial podcasts. I have been It's been overwhelming how many people are downloading and subscribing. I would like to, again, to thank Hoggett Law, our first sponsor on the podcast, for joining us and getting behind this project. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have more guests, more player interviews, as we did last week with Melvin Gordon. We've got more planned, and I'll give you guys the heads up when those get confirmed. But, again, this is Troy Rank with the Believe in Broncos podcast. And here's what I tell people all the time. This podcast, it's for you. But making your day happy, that's on me. And I'm trying to, have, to help you guys have a great day, smile a little bit, enjoy it, go out there and have some fun. And thanks again for joining me here on the Believe in Broncos podcast.